If you want to derive any conclusions about the people from the history of their names, then go ahead. Have fun. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. It's election season. We've talked about election season before on the podcast. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Can't seem to get it out of our heads. Um, now we have a couple of official nominees for president. The first we're going to talk about is Hillary Clinton. Now, she's the first woman to be nominated for president from a major party. She was not the first woman to run for president from a major party. Do you remember who that was? You know, I'm not good at remembering names, but actually there were some some minor candidates that ran a long time ago, even in the 19th century. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't remember any of those, but in my lifetime, I remember uh, Shirley Chisholm right. running for president in 1972. Was right. it? Yeah, they usually start looking at her, but there actually were several female candidates that ran on various tickets, even before women had the vote. Mm -hmm. Well, she may have been the first one to have much recognition at all or Maybe right. the first contemporary one. Yeah. But we've come all this way, and now we have Hillary Clinton. We know her as a graduate of Wellesley College and Yale Law School. She was the wife of Bill Clinton, of course, who was president from 93 to year 2000, after which she ran for Senate from the state of New York. She served from 2001 to 2009. She was Secretary of State from 2009 to 2013, and now she's nominated to be president, from uh, nominated by the Democratic Party. That's quite a resume for her, but you've been thinking about other things about Hillary. Well, you know, um, the focus of our podcast is words, and uh, it struck me it'd be interesting to look at the names of these various candidates, both presidential and vice presidential, and see what sort of associations they had. This is... Um, as they say on, on some goods you can buy purely for entertainment purposes. <laughs> okay. But if you want to derive any conclusions about the people from the history of their names, then go ahead, have fun. Mm -hmm. Hillary is a, an interesting name, and it has a very long history indeed. It goes back to ancient Greek originally, um, the word helaros, means propitious or gracious. And then uh, it gives birth to Latin hilaris, H-I-L-A-R-I-S, meaning cheerful. And cheerful, it makes clear the connection between hilaris and words like hilarious and hilarity. And people um, who know Hillary Clinton well often say she has a fine sense of humor, and we've heard her get off some smart cracks now and then. Uh, but by and large, she's not thought of as being hilarious. Well, she's not a stand-up comedian. No. <laughs> she at least has an appreciation for humor, we can tell that. Yeah. But anyway, it's a name that was given to men first in the form Hilarion in uh, the Middle Ages, 
as an idea that they were smiling, happy people. You know, you'd be blessing a child, give them a name that would make them seem happy. But the female form was Hilaria, uh, Hilarion for boys. And uh, the first famous Hilaria is Hilaria, the daughter of the Emperor Zeno. Um, and this is in the early 4th century. And this is when the church had not split yet between the Eastern Orthodox and Western Catholic Church. So, but the center of the church had shifted to Constantinople, where the Emperor Zeno was uh, in charge of things. The story of Hilaria is really interesting, and uh, I've got an account which I'm summarizing from some material I researched on the web. Um, she was very pious and decided that she wanted to become a monk. But of course, there were no nuns at that time, and she wanted to lead a life of holy contemplation. So she disguised herself as a man, essentially ran away from home, and uh, went to Egypt. Um, Egypt was a location where a lot of hermits lived in communities, sometimes, sometimes solitary. Uh, there are lots and lots of stories about them. And she gave herself the name of Hillary. She was Hilaria. Uh, she became Hilarion, actually, but she's referred to in English as Hillary, uh, with one L, by the way. And she was ordained a monk as a man, lived as a hermit in a cave for 15 years. Uh, but the other monks noticed that she wasn't growing a beard. And so they called her Hillary the eunuch. And now hold on just a minute. Um, a eunuch is not identified as someone lacking facial hair. It can be. If they're castrated before they reach adolescence, it can prevent the growth of a beard. I see. So so might this have been a common practice for women to become monks and disguise themselves as men? No, this is extremely rare. Okay. All right. So she had a sister, and the sister had some kind of problem, which was diagnosed at the time as demon possession. And so uh, her father was concerned and, and heard about this monastery where this great monk was living and sent the sister to where Hillary was to be healed. Now, of course, all of this is such wild coincidence, you can't help suspecting that a lot of this is fairy tale and not what really actually happened. But this is, anyway, the record that was laid down by the church fathers. So with prayer and her demon possession was healed and um, in great celebration, the monk Hillary was taken back to court and um, she decided to reveal her identity to her father in secret to the immediate family. But she wouldn't reveal her identity until he promised that he would let her return to her monastic life. Um, he did promise, but then he broke his promise and tried to keep her at the court. Uh, her whole family, of course, was very upset <laughs> to discover that their runaway daughter had become a monk. But ultimately, she prevailed, and he let her return to the Egyptian desert. But he tried to make her life as comfortable as possible by supplying the monastery with wheat and oil and other foodstuffs and constructed a beautiful palace at the monastery, sort of defeating the whole point of being an ascetic, of course. 
Um, she lived on as a monk for five more years, still disguising herself as a man. It's only her immediate family that knew who she was. And her companions discovered she was a woman only after her death. So if you're talking about women who are taking on unusual roles formerly held by men, there's a really good early example. Well, and yes, and this 15 years thing is interesting, too, because... Here it's been approximately 15 years since she was first lady. Um, now, it's not like she's been dormant or she's gone into hiding in a cave or anything like that, but uh, looks like she very well could ascend to the White House again and reemerge. And a lot of people believe that her role as first lady was a very influential one on uh, her husband's presidency. Yeah. Well, Hilarius, I-U-S, was mainly a masculine name in the Middle Ages and was taken by several distinguished clerics. In the early 4th century, there's St. Hilarius of Poitiers, died in 367. He's the patron saint against snake bites, interestingly, and considered by some to be the patron saint of lawyers. Uh-huh. Ah, guess who went to law school? <laughs> yeah, there you go. He was uh, born a pagan, converted to Christianity, and elected Bishop of Poitiers. Um, but he was a fierce foe of the Arian heresy, and uh, his nickname was Hammer of the Arians. You know, smash those Arians. There was a lot of struggles in this period between uh, trying to hammer out what orthodoxy was and what the other rival beliefs should be. He wrote several books attacking heretics. He was embroiled in a controversy um, and attacked uh, verbally the Emperor Constantius as being the Antichrist. He kept demanding to hold public debates with his opponents, annoying the authorities so much that they sent him back to his diocese. He wrote several books and an explanation of the Psalms, very little of which remains. Then there's uh, another 4th century St. Hilarius, Bishop of Arles, A-R-L-E-S. He was especially known for his asceticism, for aid to the poor, and ransoming captives. He was an ambitious cleric. He tried to expand his power over the Church of South Gaul and depose the Bishop of Besançon, who had defied his power. He was considered very learned and left behind two volumes of theological writings and is considered a saint by the Catholic Church. Um, he's referred to, as all these are, in several European languages and different spellings. In French, for instance, Hilarius is Hilaire, Hilaire, H-I-L-A-I-R-E. There's actually a Pope Hilarius. A little later, Bishop of Rome, 461 to 449, who asserted the authority of Rome over the churches of Gaul and Spain. This is while Rome is still consolidating its power in the West. Uh, he's known for having a lot of public buildings constructed, several churches, convents, but also public baths and libraries. Uh, so he's campaigning for infrastructure, you could say. In the 12th century, to leap ahead to the High Middle Ages, there's a Hilarius who was a pupil of Pierre Abelard. Uh, if you know the legend of Eloise and Abelard, that's the Abelard we got in mind, a very famous theologian and seducer of young women. 
a young woman anyway. Um, but this hilarious may have been given this as a nickname because he's famous for writing light satirical verse and three miracle plays, including a comic one about a miracle performed by St. Nicholas. And this is from a book by Francis Edwards, The Theater of the People. Hilarious's play about the popular St. Nicholas, the original Santa Claus, is one of many plays dealing with the lives and miracles of saints, which began to appear during this period. Its theme is humorous and concerns a wealthy heathen named Barbarus, who, having to go upon a journey, wishes to leave his wealth in a safe place. Stupidly, he stows all his goods into a chest, which he leaves at the foot of a statue of St. Nicholas, praying the saint to care for it until his return. Now, this is typical of the sort of confused thinking of the people who wrote these stories. Why would somebody who is a heathen entrust his goods to a saint that he doesn't believe in? But... That's the sort of thing you run into a lot in these miracle stories. Thieves, however, passing the place within which the statue stands, observe that the door is open and enter. They find the chest and rob it of its contents. Barbarous, on his return, discovers his loss and vents his anger upon the statue, to which he delivers a sound whipping. This isn't the only instance, by the way, where you get stories of people beating up on statues of saints and so on to get things that they want. Grieved by this treatment, the statue comes to life, seeks out the thieves, and threatens them with exposure to the authorities unless they return their booty to its rightful owner. The robbers, terrified at the threat, promptly obey, and the heathen barbarous and gratitude to the saint becomes converted to Christianity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, while I was looking for more information about St. Hilarius and his plays, I ran into a Catholic improv comedy troupe that calls itself St. Hilarius after him. There are a lot of, that's a lot of saints and popes named Hilarius. And <laughs> do we know about what time the word Hilarius came to be used in the way that we know it now? You would never name a child Hilarious these days. Hilarious is actually a fairly recent word. It was first appears in print, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, in 1823, and it at first meant cheerful, and then a few years later starts being used as boisterously joyous or merry rollicking. Yes. So it's actually a fairly modern term. Mm-hmm. So all of these uh, saints and popes from the 12th century or earlier we're talking about are not quite so wedded to that meaning. No, but it did mean happy. But the plot of Hilarious' play is pretty hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, the single L spelling of Hillary is more common today, and mostly it's used as a name for women. And some famous contemporary people, Hilary Hahn, the violinist, um, made a huge splash when she was still a child as a virtuoso. Mm -hmm. You may know the actresses Hilary Swank and Hilary Duff. Um, I'm very fond of the novels of Hilary Mantel, the author of Wolf Hall and many other historical novels. And just for a little extra, we'll throw in that Alec Baldwin's wife is named Hilaria. Hillary was a popular name for men in Britain in the 19th and 20th centuries, with several politicians bearing that name, none of them a particular note. 
the name was exported to the former African colonies, resulting in a Zambian soccer player named Hilary Makasa and a Kenyan steeplechase runner named Hilary Yego. But you couldn't find better candidates for a summit meeting than Tenzig Norgay and Sir Edmund Hillary, who together made the first successful ascent of Mount Everest in 1953. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, it was more than a hill. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, okay, that's an interesting history of Hillary Clinton, and we'll leave it to listeners to piece together what parts of that rundown of the name Hillary fit together with the politician Hillary that we know. I'm not sure we left it to them. We kind of <laughs> let them say what they like best, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting story. Now, you also want to talk about some of the other candidates. Uh, let's talk about the two vice presidential candidates and maybe we'll get to the other presidential candidate a little later, but now Mike Pence, he's the running mate of Donald Trump, vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party. Now we know him as a, a graduate of Hanover College and Indiana University Robert H. McKinney School of Law. I went to Indiana University. Yes. Comparative literature, so we both have the same alma mater. Mm hmm. Uh, he was the president of the Indiana Policy Review Foundation, a free market think tank, uh, back in the early 90s, from 91 to 94. He was the host of the Mike Pence Show, a talk radio program. Are you familiar with this one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he called himself Rush Limbaugh on decaf. Right. I told this to my son, and he said, I don't think caffeine is the problem with Rush Limbaugh, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, the idea being it was as right-wing, but not in such a vehement and obnoxious fashion. I understand. <laughs> uh, so he ran for Congress unsuccessfully a couple of times, uh, 88 and 1990, but he was elected to Congress in the year 2000 presumably uh, running on the steam built up from the popularity of his radio program. Uh, he was in the House of Representatives from 2000 to 2012, uh, and he's been the governor of Indiana from 2013 to the present. Now, that's the resume of Mike Pence, but you know a little bit more about Pence, don't you? Yeah, just thinking about Indiana University. I wonder what his attitude toward funding for the state's universities has been. Oh, think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, he was just a graduate. He was not in administration. Right. Yeah. Just thinking of all the state legislators in Washington who graduated from Washington State University and then went on to become legislators who cut the budgets of the university. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're on the football team and cut the library. Yeah, I guess the point being that these are public universities, uh, not private. So if they want to be pure, supposedly they should all be graduates who paid full tuition at a private university. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the name Pence is an unusual one, but it turns out to be a variation on a, a more common name. Uh, Pence itself as a common noun, of course, is best known as the British word for penny, like tuppence, two pence. Two pennies. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, it's often sometimes was used as in the singular as well, so that this costs one pence. However, that's probably not where the name comes from. Um, 
the family name is related to Penn, P-E-N-N. And there's an area called the Penn, um, with that spelling, in Anglo-Saxon England, and the Penn family owned an estate there. And that seems to have been the origin of the family, like many, many family names in Europe originate as place names. Um, the most famous Penn being William Penn, the Quaker leader who belonged to the same family, and Pennsylvania being named after him, where he ruled for a while. There are four members of the Pence family, P-E-N-C-E, who settled in Pennsylvania in the mid-18th century, coming from England, but Mike Pence is descended from an Irish Catholic branch of the Penn family. Uh, but P-E-N-S, P-E-N-C-E, P-E-N-N, and several other variants are all really the same name. What interested me about this was the family motto, Dum Clarum Rectum Teneam, May I Keep the Line of Right as Well as of Glory. It just takes a little tweaking to turn that right into something political. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, the other vice presidential candidate we have is... Uh, Timothy Kane. Yeah, K-A-I-N-E. Again, a very unusual spelling of a name that is otherwise not that rare. Politically, we know him as uh, a graduate of the Harvard Law School, another law school graduate. Um, he was mayor of Richmond, Virginia from 98 to 2001. He was lieutenant governor of Virginia from 2002 to 2005. And he was the governor of Virginia from 2006 to 2010 and senator from the state of Virginia in 2013 up till now. And also former chairman of the Democratic National Committee from 2009 to 2011, who got into a lot of hot water about some emails, of course, <laughs> uh, lately. But about his name, back to his name, K-A-I-N-E, Timothy Kane. Yeah, this unusual spelling does go back to the Middle Ages. It's not one of those that got changed when they landed in America. Um, but the family has varied the spelling of its name in different ways over the centuries. It's When you look at old books and manuscripts without reading modern editions, it's, it's always astonishing how varied spellings could be. People just sounded things out. I think a lot of people know that Shakespeare... In the few signatures that he had, I think he spelled his name at least three different ways. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be just one fixed spelling for a long time. The name may derive from the word cane, meaning a man as thin as a reed, or referring to the occupation of reed gathering. That's kind of a guess. I'm not at all sure. Another suggested possibility is that the name might have originated in the French city of Caen. C-A-E-N. In the 13th century, there was a nobleman there named Richard, Richard de K-A-I-N. And this is in Normandy, where there's uh, some Germanic influence, and you get a letter K coming in where you wouldn't get it in southern France. There is no connection whatsoever with the biblical Cain, C-A-I-N, uh, K-A-Y-N in Hebrew, and um, I'm sure that's the reason that the first name Cain has not been terribly popular throughout much of history, because he is supposed to be a great villain. 
according to the story in the book of Genesis, he's the firstborn child of Adam and Eve and the first murderer, killing his brother Abel. But what uh, most people forget, if you read in this story further, he is also the first creator of a city, uh, which he named after his son Enoch in the land of Nod. Land of Nod, by the way, is not where you go to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a place name. So you could see him if he were a patron saint. He'd be the patron saint of city planning, maybe. But um, no, he's not patron saint of anything. So it was really a rare name for a long, long time. And then in recent years, there's been a brief mild spike in people naming their uh, sons Cain as a first name. And uh, somebody noted that briefly in, I think, 2013 or something, uh, Cain was slightly more popular than Abel as a first name. Mm. He's also, it should go without saying, not a relative of the recent presidential candidate, Herman Cain. Um, The title of Herman Woke's best-selling novel, The Cain Mutiny, refers to the name of the ship. So there's no person named Cain in that. But perhaps the best-known modern Cain is Michael Cain, C-A-I-N-E, a British actor, who was born Sir Maurice Joseph Micklewhite, <laughs> <laughs> took Michael Caine as his acting name. Um, and he complained that when he had to go through the security at airports with his passport that had his birth name in it, it was driving him crazy because everybody would look at him and realize, this is Michael Caine, what's this Maurice Joseph Micklewhite stuff? So he legally changed his name recently so he could get through airport security, so he is now legally Michael Caine. The Caine family in Ireland is probably where uh, Tim Caine gets his, and there it's spelled K-A-N-E often, which is very close to the spelling he uses. And it's a Celtic name, and its derivation is uh, from a word meaning battle. There are variants K-E-A-N and K-E-E-N and so on that most people are familiar with. Uh, the most famous Kane uh, with a K-A-N-E spelling is probably Bob Kane, uh, the creator of Batman. His name still appears often on Batman comic books, although he had very little to do with most of the later ones. He invented the character anyway. There's the expression to raise Cain, to behave in a rowdy or disruptive way. So the word raise here is being used in a somewhat um, old-fashioned sense, meaning to raise the dead spirit of somebody. And it's probably a euphemism for accusing somebody who's making a lot of trouble of raising the devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you felt squeamish about referring to the devil, you substitute Cain, who is thought to be an evil person. So you'd say he's raising Cain. In other words, in his actions, he is resurrecting the, the violent, murderous spirit of the biblical Cain. And the family motto here is interesting. It's Felis de Multimitis. A stroked cat is gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, now, can we draw any parallels here with Timothy Kane, Or is this just, uh, this is musing on the name. Have you got any insight? No particular insight. I just find it amusing. It is fun. I think it's fun that it's possible that the French city of Cayenne, is that how we pronounce it? Cayenne. Yeah. Cayenne. 
C-A-E-N may be one of the origins because I grew up in the Bay Area uh, reading the San Francisco Chronicle with the iconic San Francisco columnist Herb Kane, who spelled his name C-A-E-N. Oh, yeah, me too. I grew up in the same area reading Herb Kane. Oh, that's true. Your Petaluma <laughs> product, yes. Yeah, he was the one that was always on there trying to get people to stop saying Frisco. Yes, <laughs> and he had a few things to say about Petaluma, too. <laughs> I remember over the years. <laughs> Not always kind. <laughs> yeah, well, Petaluma struggled along as a backwater for so long that it's become charming and quaint. <laughs> now it's a tourist destination for fancy pants tourists from San Francisco coming for fine dining and organic food. Sure, and uh, Herb Kane could not have seen it coming, but all of these outlying communities all around the Bay Area have all become all of a sudden very fashionable <laughs> and destination places. Yeah. The organic chicken that I buy in our local grocery, high-end grocery store is raised in Petaluma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, Petaluma has long since shed its origins of being some podunk outpost of the Bay Area. Yeah. It was the town where I was born. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, all that's very interesting. I want to talk about the Republican presidential nominee Next time. <laughs> yeah, right. We need lots of time for Donald. Okay. But thank you, Paul. That's fine. Talk to you next time. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.